0: People only get to live through something like this once in their career. For every listener that, for the ones who are, let's say older than 40, you'll remember what it felt like in the very early days of the internet. It may have felt like it was a technology and you might have been in a business where you said, well, the internet's not gonna affect me. And it's hard to think of a business today that's not impacted by the internet. And it seems like this will be at least as big, if not significantly bigger than the internet
1: artificial intelligence, machine learning. There is little doubt that these technologies are set to have a massive impact on organizations globally. But with everything we know, and don't yet know, about AI and ML, it can be difficult to understand
2: what this true potential looks like. There is near limitless potential if this technology is channeled and used appropriately and correctly. I think that last part is what we are trying to figure out. Good governance, responsible use, trustworthiness, these are all at the core of good innovation. For business leaders, the
1: opportunities must outweigh the risks and challenges. And critically, the details on how AI and ML will manifest for organizations need to be a bigger part of the conversation.
3: The one thing that I would say is, Getting to a meaningful point in the conversation where we're not only talking about, yes, there can be unintended consequences around these technologies, but there can also be unbelievable upsides and responsiveness and nuanced approaches to talent that can be unlocked through these
1: technologies. So could AI and ML be the best or worst thing that ever happened to your business? I'm Meg Wright, Head of Innovation at FT Longitude. And in this special episode of the Workday podcast, we take a deep dive into the world of AI and ML in business, what we know of it today, where we think it might lead, and what we
2: are yet to uncover. My name is Dr. Raman Chowdhury. I am one of the founders of the field of responsible AI in practice. I am currently a responsible AI fellow at Harvard's Berkman klein Center for Internet and Society, and I'm also co-founder of the nonprofit Humane Intelligence. In the last less than a year, generative AI has become the topic of conversation. What has been the most innovative is not that this technology came to existence. Actually, large language models have existed for some years. The big innovation has actually been in the no-code accessibility to create realistic looking text, image, video, audio from these models without having to code. Almost everyone who's listening to this podcast is probably familiar with no code-based access to technology. So today you can interact with ChatGPT or Lenza or Staple Diffusion simply by typing in a very human-like prompt. So you will tell it to make a picture of a cat wearing a party hat. And, you know, it will send you a picture of a cat wearing a party hat. You can then refine this to say, I want it to be a black cat. I want it to wear a pink party hat. And instead of having to do this via code, so programming skill, which most previous versions of AI required you to do, which was a barrier to entry to most people, this plain text way of communicating, which mimics human behavior, is actually one of the biggest revolutions in this new wave of artificial intelligence.
1: So as AI and ML start to infiltrate the world of business, what skills will become more sought after? And are there particular skills that people will need in order to ensure they can work effectively with this technology?
0: Another way to frame your question is what skills won't you need? And so the last half century, as we've introduced more and more computers into the workforce, Computers today seem very benign. People feel anxious around AI, but very few people feel anxious just around a computer sitting on your desk at your office or even your phone. My name's Ajay Agarwal. I'm a professor at the University of Toronto at the Rotman School of Management. uh, And I'm the founder of a not-for-profit program called the Creative Destruction Lab. Our mission is to enhance the commercialization of science for the betterment of humankind. Before navigational AIs, let's say in London, Taxi drivers had to go to school for three years. So they go three years to learn how to really be a knowledgeable driver to navigate around the city of London. And what the AI did is it took a a person who, who knew nothing about the city of London. Like I could fly into Heathrow, rent a car, and imagine I've never set foot in the city of London. I can drive through the city as efficiently as a pro. And so that made driving a lot more accessible. So let's imagine that you thought there was any kind of systematic bias of, of who got into you know, those driving schools to learn the knowledge in, in London or whatever those barriers were, are in, to a large extent removed. And so all you have to know now is if as long as you can safely drive a car, the AI upskills you to be able to navigate. So we had some colleagues, some economists in Japan who studied this in Tokyo. And what they found was they gave half the drivers a navigational AI and half did not get it. And they looked at their productivity before versus after they got their navigational AIs. And in their case, there's two things. One is just predicting the optimal route between two places. But the second thing is for taxi drivers, the other prediction they need to make is when they drop off their passenger, where should they go to minimize the time until they pick up their next passenger? Because in, in taxi driving, productivity is measured by the number of minutes with a passenger in your car versus n- no passenger in your car. And so what they found was the ones who got the navigational AI, the less experienced drivers got a 7% productivity boost, and the more experienced drivers got a 0% productivity boost. They already had a good instinct of where to go to minimize their time to pick up a, a drive. So this was yet another case of the AI leveling the playing field between the ones that were, let's say, more experienced versus less experienced.
3: I think AI and ML is for sure an actual game changer for business. I think the thing that's dawning on everyone is that it's tough to see any sector in the economy that isn't going to be adopting these tools.
1: Meet Chandler Morse, Vice President for Corporate Affairs at Workday. Chandler agrees that AI has the power to transform the workforce from inside out both in terms of business performance and career development.
3: I get really passionate around the skills conversation. And I get really passionate around the skills conversation because the bulk of my career I have worked with populations for whom I think that is essential. I always come back to this example. You pick any town USA and something's changed and, and now you're out of work. And the question is like, Okay, here's some resources. You know, the federal government provides, and the U.S. provides quite a bit of resources for workforce development. Okay, here's some resources to go get, go develop some skills. And the answer is like, in what, in what do I go develop skills in? And I believe that the technology exists to know what what's moving in the economy, what's coming and going, where are the opportunities lie. But for a lot of people, it's how do I pay my rent? How do I open up an opportunity that's meaningful that can provide for my family that can take me to the next level? And i am passionate about the fact that a skills based approach can start to open those doors in frankly a faster more efficient more effective way to lead to better economic opportunities for people and i think ai is a really important part of that and i think i think we're at a really interesting time in the US economy and and frankly, the global economy sort of coming out of the pandemic and coming with new technologies changing rapidly, like what everyone should be getting the sense of is things in the economy can change really quickly. And we know that firsthand. And if there is this change in the economy, how do we prepare workers and, and employers to respond to that in an agile way? I do think that skills is the way. And I do think that not only is skills the way, but skills backed by a thoughtful, ethical, responsible implementation of AI that has safeguards, regulatory safeguards that help facilitate trust, I think it's incredibly exciting.
1: AI and ML can be powerful tools to improve employee experience, workplace efficiency, and business performance. But with such limitless potential comes the question of trust. In Dr. Ruman Chowdhury's own words, technologists don't always understand people. And people don't always understand technology. So what does this mean when it comes to regulating AI and ML for business?
2: the culture of artificial intelligence, the culture of data science is actually by definition very scrappy and very decentralized. And I think it's a beautiful thing. We have investment and development in open source technologies. That is actually how most people learn to become data scientists and AI engineers. We continually upskill ourselves by staying on top of papers. And I think all of that needs to be embraced. So rather than trying to Regulate artificial intelligence by keeping it in a cage behind locked doors. My suggestion actually is more openness and more transparency. This begs the question how do we steer
1: a middle path to avoid over regulation and at the same time ensure that AI is used safely? And what can businesses do to engage with policymakers
2: in a productive way? Here's Ruman again. A lot of these problems are actually the same problems that we have seen in platforms. And having worked at Twitter, I definitely have some familiarity with what the challenges are. I think there are a lot of parallels. So ultimately, what I will say is so much of what regulation is, is the answer to the question, who gets to be the arbiter of truth? Who decides what is and isn't correct? who decides what should and shouldn't be seen, who decides how it should and shouldn't be seen, and who decides what is good and what is bad. At the core of all of this conversation is actually that, choosing the parties who get to be the arbiters of truth. So with generative AI, when we think about GDPR and the parallels to generative AI, so the EU AI Act just passed, we have the Digital Services Act, we have the Digital Markets Act, we do have regulation coming. In my opinion, these new laws have actually learned from some of the critiques of GDPR, which was that it was uh, very onerous on companies. It didn't actually understand how companies stored and collected data. And as a result, by giving mandates that seemed, quote, simple, like the right to not be found or the right to your own information, actually was quite a difficult task for many different for many companies frankly a world in which we have bad regulation on ai is just as bad as a world in which we have zero regulation or standards on artificial intelligence so i've applauded a lot of the efforts to invest in all kinds of governance so governance does not just mean regulation, I think there is quite a focus because of all of the regulation coming out of the European Union and similar efforts that are are now um, happening in other parts of the world, such as the UK and increasingly in the United States. But governance takes many aspects and many forms, and all of them are actually helpful in many different ways. So In part, innovation is driven by good governance. This would mean having standardized ways of assessing the technologies that you're investing in so you actually understand whether or not it's delivering what you think it will deliver. And you're also able to compare across different technologies to actually choose which the best one is and best suited for your product and and your needs. Critically, as
1: business uses of AI and ML scale rapidly, leaders must address questions of trust, safety, and ethics. If history has taught us one thing, it's that these conversations are central to scaling technology responsibly, as Workday's Chandler Morse explains.
3: We're going to see a lot of implementations of these technologies. There are some concerns around some use cases, around some applications, and those concerns need to be addressed and they need to be addressed in a policy context.
1: So what lessons can businesses take from other emerging technologies? And in particular, how can they avoid the dangerous trap between over-regulation hindering progress and a lack of regulation eroding public trust?
3: The way I get asked that question all the time is like, your industry, we don't trust that you're really asking for regulation. We believe in the power of AI to unlock human potential. And we say that as a human capital management service provider for half of the Fortune 50 and 50% of the Fortune 500, 60 million employee records in our system. Like We we know how these technologies can benefit economic opportunities for, for people. That's our business. But people won't use technologies that they don't trust. And so, you know, on Capitol Hill, I was on Capitol Hill for most of my career. And, and all I wanted to know when people came in, I just was like, just tell me your motive. Don't make me guess your motive. Like, like what, what do you want? Can we work together? And our motive is clear. We want people to use these technologies. We are a provider of these services and people won't use them to unlock their potential to set up these talent marketplaces to to drive meaningful conversations around careers to to look at what's needed in the economy and 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 you know where resources need to go and, and to develop skills we just see a lot of benefit from these technologies and so our goal is to develop a level of comfort and we think that the way we get to that level of comfort is meaningful regulation
1: how then will ai and ml enable a bold new vision for business And are we even ready for a world of limitless potential?
0: The technology will get there quite quickly. It will be the change management for people in their organizations. I think what's gonna drive that change is going to be competition. That as soon as one company in an industry does it, and all of a sudden they can offer a service that's much better for their customers at a price that's much lower, that all of that resistance that has slowed others down will either be addressed very quickly or the company will just become less and less relevant. If I were watching this and trying to anticipate how fast things will happen, I would be very focused on just watching the innovative leaders. So the same way that you would have watched in the early days Netflix and uh, in the US, for example, people were watching this like a curiosity while they were still getting in their cars and driving to Blockbuster to to rent a, a video, that once you saw how it worked, it was hard not to imagine that this is inevitable. We don't have to look at how fast will all the companies change. All we have to look is for the singular leader and that will then set the pace for everyone else.
1: Critically, those leading businesses must be a vocal part of the conversation.
3: We very much view and are bullish on the potential for AI to unlock human potential. At the same time, there are potential unintended consequences around these technologies that need to be addressed. And so when we started these conversations in 2019, the first thing we were saying was, hey, let's have a risk-based approach, we're not sure HR AI use cases, you know, and Netflix recommendations of the next season of, you know, a show that you want to watch deserve the same level of scrutiny. And so, really parsing out kind of where the focus should be. I think the Europeans have landed that and have frankly now made it a foregone conclusion. That's sort of now table stakes in the conversation. It's no longer a novel concept. We also think that they've done a fairly good job having a, a nuanced approach. One of the things that we we're suggesting was in that risk-based triangle from low risk to you absolutely can't use ai for these use cases we asked them to avoid the temptation of putting entire sectors into categories that 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 risk-based approach needed to have kind of a, a nuanced approach enough to really separate out even in our sector you know the things that'll have dramatic impacts on employment opportunities versus some of the things that are maybe a little bit less
1: Along with managing change effectively and taking a nuanced approach to risk, business leaders will also need to understand how AI could start to reshape the wider business
2: landscape. Here's Ruman to explain. So, for example, Duolingo is um, an app that teaches you different languages. So what they are doing at Duolingo is taking this core model built by OpenAI and refining it to fit their purpose. So in this new world where companies are using a core algorithm built by another company and refining it for their purpose, they too have a responsibility for trust and safety. That responsibility for trust and safety is actually about their specific fine-tuned use case. So there is an expectation that these giant AI companies, the Anthropics and Open AIs of the world, have a responsibility for identifying egregious harms, utilizing red teaming, and ensuring that in general, it's promoting responsible use. But then the secondary party that's refining this for their purpose also has a responsibility. So what companies need to think of are what are these two tiers of trust and safety and what do they imagine is their expectation for their customers? So while a decent part of the technology can be outsourced because all they're doing is fine-tuning a core model, I will also add that that responsibility component cannot also be outsourced. I am an advocate, a very vocal advocate of having global governance for some of these problems for which we need moral oversight. I think this concept of global governance has evolved to have many different arms and legs, but for me, what this governance body should do is have a mission of enabling human flourishing. And that sounds very vague and nebulous, but so does the concept of artificial general intelligence, right? So if we are investing billions of dollars to a concept that sounds completely unachievable, such as artificial general intelligence, I too think we should spend a lot of time, effort, and money into enabling human flourishing based on these technologies. There's a lot of work to be done, but there's no denying that the outlook for AI and ML is
1: bright. But what does this mean for business leaders? How should today's organizations prepare for tomorrow's world of work? I put this question to ajay
0: Thing number one is to point AI at real business problems. So in other words, people get kind of mesmerized by the like the magical and, and science fiction part of it, that every AI initiative inside the company should be focused on a key business metric. And so it should be very measurable. AIs are uh, optimizers, and they need to be pointed at a thing that they're optimizing. And so... I would avoid handing your AI all over to your chief data scientist and make sure that it's under the auspices of a business unit lead who's got a very clear key performance indicator of some kind of metric and the AI is pointed at a business goal that ultimately either increases revenue or reduces cost. Point number two is there are many areas now that you can apply AI, especially since we can now handle language. So many things that were not feasible this time last year are now feasible because we can read contracts, we can read standard operating procedures, we can read employment agreements, emails, all of that unstructured data that we couldn't process very effectively this time last year is now very manageable. So there's many different opportunities of things to point AI at. Prioritize. Pick the wh- whichever one or two or three projects will have the highest lift in terms of increased revenue or d- decreased cost. On the one dimension and on the second dimension is... Is feasible to build. So in other words, apply your typical ROI calculation and just pick one or two or maybe three projects, but don't try and boil the ocean and attack everything at once. Finally, point three is I would in- highly encourage every company to lean in on something. In other words, pick whatever is your most valuable AI initiative and get started now, as opposed to like, let's just wait and see what happens. And the reason is because AI learns. Unlike any tool Our human civilization has used before. AI learns, so it gets better with use. And so the people who sit on the sidelines, you're missing all that learning time that those that are are building their AIs now are getting the advantage of the faster you get in, the faster your AI starts to learn.
1: People, performance, policy, progress. The future potential that AI and ML hold for businesses is undeniable. And yet it's the steps business leaders take today that will ultimately determine how this potential will unfold. And crucially, the value that AI and ML will yield in the long run. So could AI and ML be the best thing that ever happened to business? Well, I'll let you decide. I'm Meg Wright. Thanks for listening.